Hello and welcome to Speak Your Mind, the podcast with Carla Pava. Today we will be speaking with a special guest, Nina Keiko. She will be sharing her story with us. Welcome, Nina. Tell us your story and how it started. Thanks, Carla. Thanks for having me here. Um, I'm really excited to join you today and uh, hopefully add some value to your uh, to your show. Um, so I was born and raised in Baghdad, Iraq. I come uh, from a, a very large family. <laughs> I have uh, five sisters and three brothers. Grew up in one. Uh, yeah, grew up with my. Uh, both parents, um, well, my mom raised us all. My dad was always working, so we barely saw him. But growing up, very happy, very, really, very content with the, all the little things that we had. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. You know, I was at the last one of the girls. I was number six, so um, I had all the hands me down for my sisters. So you can imagine, I, I never had anything really new, <laughs> except for like Christmas and Easter. Um, that, those were our traditions. So we get, you know, little things, one, one or two things for Christmas or Easter that were new. But, but the rest of the stuff were, you know, hand me down for my sisters and my family. And that was okay. It was simple life, but it was beautiful life. Um, it wasn't until about five years, till I was five years old, uh, a war broke out between uh, Iraq and Iran. And um, that was 81. And that war lasted till 88, almost 10 years of this crazy war which unfortunately wow. uh, unfortunately a lot of people died in that war including my brother and my uncle uh, oh my, my brother, god yeah my brother was only 18 so he was forced to go to war um, you know and back then when you don't go to school when you finish high school and you don't you decide not to go to university you have no choice but to go to war and he was um he unfortunately didn't make it he was there for two three years and then uh, he was killed and during those 10 years of war, Carla, <clears throat> I saw the unbelievable. I witnessed everything from um, every fear you could imagine, you know? We used to run and hide in the mountains, in the caves, weeks at a time, sometimes with no food, nothing, just to survive. Because when they would bomb, when the Iraq and Iraq bombing would happen, they would bomb um, missiles, like chemical missiles, anywhere, and it would, doesn't matter where it was. Sometimes it would land in the churches, sometimes yeah. it would land in schools. So you didn't know when the next bomb would hit you, you know what I mean? But we, we would get like, um, my family would get a, would hear the news that, okay, they, they are going to be bombing the civilian, civilians this, this week, so, or this month. So we'd all mm -hmm. run and escape in the mountains, you know? Yeah. And I was young and I was young. So from young age, I learned to survive in the wild, you know, to survive with no food, with no nothing and to um, sort of face your fears, your worst fears, which is, you know, death. I don't think there's anything worse than that in the world, to be honest. So yeah, we, yeah. we uh, having to face that at a very young age yeah. and, um, and having to be like um te do teamwork with your family in order to survive right oh yeah we had we all knew, we all had roles what to do what not to do when when time came you know what i mean so my father we, we my father was a farmer 
and um, he had we had two houses, one in Baghdad, one up north. So when this bombing would happen, or we knew about that would bomb the city, uh, we would run. We would literally drive up seven hours to north. My dad would pack us up in the car, would go up north, and we would stay there in our house. But then even there, there was always threat, bomb threatened. So we would always run up and, and hide in the caves. And sometimes it'd be weeks, sometimes it'd be months with no food. So we'd have to fend for ourselves. My father would, you know, hunt for whatever he could find to feed us. A lot of times it'd be pigeons and birds. <laughs> and we would go, my brother and sisters and cousins and the whole family would just go in the, in the mountains, kind of look for food. We'd dig up greens from the ground. We'd dig up, we'd go get water from the spring from the mountains and drink it. I mean, it was a survival mode. So we did that yeah. for about 10 years of war, um, back and forth from the city to mountains, city to mountains. And in the city, it was a different war. When we, we when we didn't deal with the Iraq and Iran war, Carla, we would have to deal with the, the wrath of Saddam and his government and his kids. Um, because you see, we were, we were Christian Catholics and we were not allowed to say that we were Christian Catholic. We had to say that we're Arabs, we're Muslim in order not to be harmed, you know? Yeah. So the Christians didn't have it, didn't have it good in those countries, let me tell you. Um, so we, we, would, uh, we would get picked on and for no reason, just because we were Christians. I remember I, I was a teenager growing up there. I left when I was 15, but I remember when we were in the city in Baghdad, when Saddam's boys, his two sons, would come and they would come drive around the city and they would go to the Christian areas where the Christians were. And Carla, when they would come, we knew. We would, they would come with like all their uh, bodyguards and all their cars and there would be like 20, 30 cars that would come in the city. All the Christian girls would run inside and hide because they knew if one of his sons would find any girl that they want, they would get her no matter what. And, you know, they would take her and rape her and do whatever they want with her and they would bring her back home. A lot of times those girls would commit suicide or they would kill themselves because they didn't want to bring any shame to the family. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because they were raped, they were taken advantage of. And then back then, those th things were shameful to the family. So if you have brothers, if you have father and you're taken by one of Saddam's sons, you know, your life is over. Your, your family's shameful, you know, you get um, shame for that, even though it's out of your control, you were forced to do that. You were taken hostage kind of thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. So every time we would hear these things, we would all run inside. So imagine we were six girls in my family. So all my sisters were older, so they'd always run and hide. And sometimes we'd come out of the house for, for days because we were afraid for that, right? So, yeah, so basically you guys really lived under a lot of fear. Oh yeah, my whole life, the 14 years of my life there, even though we were, we had a great family life, we le we feared for our life, for our um, freedom, for our everything, especially as a woman. We were yeah. forced to, we, we, like Iraq was very liberal in so many ways, it was very westernized, so we didn't have to wear, you know, the hijab, we didn't have to cover ourselves. Um, the Muslims did because due to their religion, but we were not forced to like other countries. I know Iran, Saudi Arabia, a lot of those places, they had, the women had to be forced to, to cover themselves. We were not, um, even though we had a little bit of freedom in that, in that realm, we were still fearing for our life. 
So now, while trying to um, escape for your life, um, is there a point there where you had to basically uh, save your parents? Oh my God, all the time. I mean, when we were um, when we were younger, at that point, they were pretty strong. They can handle, you know, a lot of. Um, like I said, my dad was a farmer. He was a very strong man. Uh, he used to tell us stories of how he used to how he fought a bear. <laughs> In, in his young age, but no, my parents were very strong at that time. However, when the Gulf Desert War started and the Gulf War happened, we had a chance to escape the country. Um, for the for the previous ten years, we couldn't leave the country. If you're in Iraq, if you're an Iraqi citizen, you're kind of stuck and you can't leave the country. Mm-hmm. But when the war happened, when the U.S. kind of uh, took over Iraq in '91, we had a chance to escape and became refugee, and we we left. We left Iraq, we walked to Turkey, and that was about two weeks of walking through, uh, going up and down mountains, through mud, through snow, through everything, just to escape and survive. At that point, my parents were in their, I remember my mom was in her 50s and my dad was in his 60s, they were 10 years apart, and I was 15 years old. Um, my One of my sister was um, 18 at that time, and my little brother was nine. nine. All my other sisters were kind of, um, we kind of got lost track of where everybody was because it was a war. Yeah. And in the war country, you lose family members. One is in the north, one is in the south. And you got to fend for your life, whoever is there. So when they bombed in 91, we, it was only my parents, my sister, my brother, and myself. And we left. We left Iraq. We just started walking with hundreds of thousands of people. And we made our way to Turkey. Now, during that time, my sister and I had to carry our parents. Because, like I said, my parents were in their 50s and 60s. You know, after two days of walking in the mountains, my mom's feet swelled up. My dad had hernia. He couldn't walk too much. So they asked us, they like, go save yourselves and get to the safety and don't worry about us. And my sister and I looked at each other. She was 18 and I was 15, like I said. We laughed. We, we laughed because we said, there's no way we're going to leave you guys behind. You are our parents and we can't go anywhere without you. So we had only food and some clothes in our bag. We threw everything down. We only took some of the food that we needed to survive. And we, yeah. both, carried, we both carried our parents on our back with them crying their faces off saying to leave us alone, to leave them there and, serve, and, and save ourselves. We did. We carried them for 14 days on our backs to the safety. And I remember some days we would walk, I would walk with my brother and my mom and my back and my sister would stay back with my dad and I would walk for days and leave my mom with my brother and walk, walk, walk. I would walk back to help my sister carry my dad because my dad was a little heavier and we did that back and forth for 14 days my sister and I until we got wow. to Turkey yeah and then there there's that's where we lived for three years in a refugee tent we were basically living like in um really bad situation really bad environment for three years very very basic life um life support like we literally live yeah in the i i've you seen know. some of your pictures that you placed out there uh sharing your journey in a refugee um life journey that you had in turkey yeah yeah you, you saw those <laughs> yeah so, i did i did and those were just photos i mean imagine living that life for three years we had 
all we had was hope, Carla. So for three years, we struggled to, a lot of people went back because it was really, really hard life to live there. It was a hard situation. People were dying from diseases, from lack of nourishment, from lack of food, from just depression. Um, you, you left your whole life behind. A lot of people there, half of their life, half of their family was missing. Like I, I us, my sisters were missing for a good year and a half. We couldn't find them. We finally got hold of my older sisters. They sort of escaped illegally and got into the tent, into the camp, and a couple of them, and they made their, their way to us, but the other ones couldn't make it, so we left them behind, and you know, they made a life back in Iraq, which is really hard life. But yeah, um, long story short, I survived the unbelievable, and I made it to Canada at age 18. Started from, from zero, um, no English whatsoever, I uh, I start. I went to high school right away, and then I worked two full-time jobs while I was going to school full-time, and another part-time job. <laughs> Just to, yeah, uh, that's that's the uh, life of an immigrant, right? Right. So, given when you're given a second chance, you kind of do whatever it takes to not screw up that second chance. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. So. For us as immigrant coming here, it was like, Jesus, we got a new life. We got a second chance in living and and in, in trying to be free. Just knowing that we were free, that we were we didn't we didn't have to we could say who we were, we could say that we're Christian, we're Catholic, we're Muslim, whatever we are, and not have to be punished for it. We could, I could say proudly, I'm a woman and not have to be punished for it. You know what I mean? Um, just yeah. that alone, it was insane. It was just such a, such a, you know, such a rush to yeah. be living in this country. So I worked. It's I worked like, um, worked. it's like you, you arrived to paradise or something. I did. I did. And I would tell people that in high school, I would, I was in this committee that I would, um, empower women and educate women on how not to, um, take your life for granted. I would say that over and over and over. I would be like, guys, look, you have everything you need in this country. You have everything you want. There's so much opportunity here. Um, you know, don't take it for granted. Enjoy it. Like I would see kids doing drugs in school and drinking and I'd be like shaking my head all the time. Like, how could you? Like, you have so much to live for. Um, trying to go in the right way in the right direction by living your fullest life every moment you have because you don't know when that life will be taken away from you you know what i mean because i grew exactly. up exactly exactly yeah so then after high school did you know exactly what you wanted to do with your career well during high school i knew i had to um learn the language i knew i had to educate myself you have to understand i was a grade eight um graduate i didn't even go to high school my first semester we had to escape the country so i didn't really uh i wasn't educated for three years we were in a refugee camp i didn't have the education i missed out on high school i was 18 when i got here so i had to start in grade nine when with everybody that was like you know 14 15 i was 18. so i started from zero there um i learned everything i knew i wanted to become something I knew I wanted to do something with my life because I felt like I had so much um, potential. 
Um, so I just dove into, after high school, I went to cosmetic school. I went to hairdressing school and I kept working two other jobs while I was doing all these schooling. I would bartend at night on the weekends. I was working at a gas station Monday to Friday before I went to school, like for five, four hours in the morning before I went to school. And I worked at a restaurant after school. So I was like, I was constantly working and learning to figure out what I wanted to be. I didn't know what I wanted to be, but I knew I wanted to be someone and something. I wanted to have a legacy. So much. Um, when I didn't have anything, you know? Yeah. So, so I did all that. And then halfway through this, I met my amazing husband now. <laughs> and then uh, sort of we kind of worked together throughout the whole thing. Been with him for 23 years. I did... Um, Beautiful. I did my... Uh, thank you. I did my real estate with him. I took... Like, I, I actually went to school all these 20 years. I've been in Canada, 25 years. I've never stopped going to school and learning. I always try to learn different courses, different things, just to, you know, get the education that I needed because I didn't have the university education. I didn't have the college education. So I had to educate myself by myself and learn everything I needed to learn to keep me going. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> I mean, and plus having um, a partner that is supportive, right? Um, and being there with you uh, towards whatever that you feel that you want to do. It's such a great um, thing to have, right? Well, the, 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 beauty, the beautiful thing about my, my husband was he kind of grew up in the kind of the same way as I did, even though he was born and raised in Canada. His war was a different war. You know, he grew up in a, in a, in a project homes. He grew up in a ghetto. He grew up with seeing a lot of death, a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol around him all the time. And he had to make the decision also from a young age, which way he had to go. He didn't want to be in that situation. He didn't want to grow up being like the people around him. He made a choice from a from young age that that's not what was him. He wanted to work hard towards something that was meaningful for him. Um, so we had that in common when we first met and we sort of told each other our life stories. We instantly knew that we both had same values and same goals in life. And I think that is really, really important for any couple to when they first meet someone is to, you know, get to know each other and get to know what their values are and what their goals are in life. And I was, I don't know if I would say I was lucky. I think I made my luck, to be honest. I think I chose someone that was like me to sort of do the life with. And, um, and don't get me wrong, I met a lot of people before him. And I almost made a few different choices that would have taken me the wrong way, but I chose, um, I guess, we know what really make you stronger. I looked, yeah. you know what I mean? I looked hard at my Yeah, it's life. like um, he was compatible with you, seemed to be yes. the only person that was compatible with you, that you felt that it was the other piece of the puzzle. Yes, and the minute I felt, I, we, we, we crossed eyes and I knew he was the one because there's that energy that you get sometimes, you just know. And the more I got to know him, the more I knew he was the one. So yeah, when we, when we first met and we knew we were going to spend our life together, um, we promised each other 
we we actually it's, it's funny to say this <laughs> because I feel like a little kid saying it but we actually pinky promised Carla we literally pinky promised when he asked me to marry him that we would always always put each other first no matter what no matter how many kids we had no matter what family issues we had no matter wh- what became of us poor we became didn't matter we always had to be put ourselves first meaning our happiness first meaning we always have to look for look out for each other like he is my number one I'm his number one regardless of where we are in life um and 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 that the promise was to always look look I mean this is a little bit of a vanity but to always look good for each other so we always train and push each other harder like if you know if I feel like doing some work he will push me I will push him and we always try to remind each other remind ourselves look where we come from and look where we are today we can't stop we always have to push to be in every way positive for each other because ultimately yeah. you know ultimately you go on in life and if you don't have that partnership with that person really if you don't come home to someone to make you feel uh like you're the best you know the best person in the world or that, that holds you in, in their arms and tells you that everything is going to be okay nothing else out there matters you know like i always say this example of of uh people that have that the wealthy wealthy people that are that they have you know they don't have the happiness because money can buy happiness uh money can buy health these things come from within us and we as partners we have to help each other you know get to this so that was one thing we are, we actually promised each other that we were always have that my parents were together for 50 years they had nine children but they didn't have a uh that connection with each other they fought constantly they you know they it was to the point that we used to hide when we were little kids because my father used to beat my mom all the time rogers my husband's father did the same thing in a different way I mean, he was he he drank all the time he took it out on his in his mom and and them so we both came from that and we didn't want that to be us so by putting ourselves first we knew we would never let that happen do you know what i mean yeah i think that's beautiful how you guys like um you've experienced something toxic but you chose that you don't want that you want to be better than that right we also there's always that saying that you don't want to be your like your parents you know you always say when you're younger oh when i have kids i'll never act like my parents i'll make sure my kids don't see this or don't hear this i mean we can't always help it we're not going to be always perfect parents but we strive to love each other in every way that way we can raise healthy children to come, come out there in the world to you know love and respect everybody the way they love, love and respect themselves because honestly yeah. i don't think our parents did that for themselves i think they were whatever the situation they lived in whatever the environment they lived in i don't think they knew how to take care of themselves and to dig deep within themselves to love themselves so they can love their partners and they love their children the way they should be loved you know what i mean yeah yeah so true and now when you became a mom how was that feeling oh. <laughs> 
Well, you're a mom, so I know you know what I'm, you know, you're going to relate to what I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, the hardest thing in the world, the hardest thing I've, I've done, and I've done a lot of hard things, you know, as, as you can, um, you heard from my story. All the hard things that I've gone through, all those days that I walked to safety, all those 10 years hiding in the caves to survive, running away, being fearful, all those things were nothing, nothing, Carla, comparing to the moment I became a mom. You know, all those fears set in. Um, what if, what if, what if, what if? Because you yeah. know, when you become a mom, it's like the biggest gift you'll ever get and the, the, the worst curse you'll ever get at the same time. Because you're constantly thinking and worrying about the human being that you just give life to. You know what I mean? You're constantly yeah. thinking how to be good human to make sure those kids are going to be good. The love that you have for your children is like nothing like like nothing you've ever experienced in your life. So mm-hmm. it really does changes you. It, 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 I used to nothing would phase me, you know? I was so yeah. strong. I was so strong. Now that I'm a mom, I think I'm still strong and probably even 10 times stronger, but I cry for the littlest things. I'm emotional all the time. Um, I'm more fearful than ever, but I have to put this face of courage on. I have to, it's like a, an armor that you have to, a suit of an armor that you have to put on every morning when you, you know, step down from your bed or when you put a foot on the ground and you say, okay, what role am I going to play today? You know, how am I yeah. going to, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. How I'm going to, how I'm going to behave and how I'm going to show up to make sure that my kids know that they have someone to count on. They have a home to come to. They, they, ha- they, they have a back that they can, you know, lean on. It's just so much emotion. So much goes through your mind. You just and, don't sleep. <laughs> yeah, I know. And plus, um, I guess the beautiful thing is um, you being a mom and like you said, you're more uh, like emotional, vulnerable. And I think that's beautiful to show the children that it's okay to be emotional. It's okay to be vulnerable because then it provides them that strength because let's face it, being emotional, it is a strength because it makes you stronger and it's okay to share that. Absolutely. I think I think as a mom, you need to show your kids all your colors, all of them, because they need to know who you are. So they you're their, their role model. You know what I mean? They from day yeah. one, you teach them how to breathe, how to eat, how to move, how to do everything. They're looking up to you for everything. So if you're not being yourself hundred percent, that you're not doing your children justice. Do you know what I mean? You're not exactly. You're you're showing them to be someone that they're not. So, I cold heartedly believe that you need to be 100% yourself at all time with your children. Uh, you know, like my husband and I are always hugging and kissing, and we're arguing. We're doing everything in front of my kids. But that's okay. When we argue, they're scared, and I let them know it's okay to be scared. That just means that we're human. That we're not perfect. That we are constantly trying to make the right decision and that's why we're arguing that's why we don't we don't always have to agree on everything even though we're a family we all have different opinion on things right um exactly 
yeah, we show them that it's okay to hug each other, it's okay to cry, it's okay to, you know, uh, hold each other down, because that's that's what families do. That's what human and, you beings know, do. You know, the funniest thing is that I guess. Um, you know, it's good to show them that family will always be there regardless of what it is. And, um, you know, everything is like relationships. Uh, you fight, you hug, you cry, you laugh, right? Right, exactly. Well, it is a relationship, Carla. I think um, everything we do in life, we have a relationship with, like in our jobs, yeah. and our, you know, everything we do, we have that certain relationship with it. So you gotta, um, you gotta be 100% you. You know? I guess be able to embrace it, to embrace it, not take it to another level where it's not needed, right? Right, I agree. And, and you know, when I when they were little, you know, when you're a new mom, you think, oh, I gotta act this way. I gotta make sure I do this thing. I gotta make sure I behave this way. And then we will be taking a quick break, and we will be right back. Have you heard about the Aborigine Handcrafts Panama hats? Well, let me tell you, they provide a various styles for all occasions. And presently, they have a new summer collection. So check out Aborigine Handcrafts Panama hats at aboriginehats.com or you can contact them at 647-303. Four eight seven two. And we are back with Nina's story. Fuck, that's not me. I want to be me. I want to be able to uh, say what I want to say. I want to be able to act the way I want to act. Because what you're doing, you're showing your kids that it's okay to be some, some days to cry. It's okay sometimes to be uh, um, like a, a, a mama bear to protect them. It's okay to, you know, get down and dirty. It's okay to do all of these things because you want them to. You want them to um, persevere in hard times. Like I fear for them right now because we're going through this pandemic and our ki- my kids are teenagers. And the first hard thing that I've seen is this pandemic. So I'm constantly, Carla, I'm constantly reminding them of look where I came from, look what I've overcome here. Um, and and I'm, look how happy I am, you know? I let them know that yeah. it, it, it's okay you're going through the pandemic. It's, it's okay you're gonna be stressed out, you're gonna be depressed, you're gonna lose out, lose out on your prom, you're gonna lose out on that, you know, on a lot of milestones in, in your life, but this too shall pass. You are gonna get get back to you to you know to a better world. You're gonna be happy. Life's gonna go up and down. It's not always gonna be perfect. I show them the road that I've I've gone through. You know, I mean, living in the tent for three years, it was no joke. It was miserable, but I had hopes. So I'm letting my kids know it's okay to to feel that way, but always have hopes. Things will come back to you. Life will change. So it's okay. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, we all have, we put uh, our plans out there. But then the beauty of it is that 
God has a, a bigger plan for us, right? Right, right. No matter how much yeah. we plan, no matter no matter how many goals we have, what we do in life, nothing's guaranteed. <laughs> nothing's oh, guaranteed. No. Our journey is temporary, right? And we should right. be very grateful for every second that it's given to us and every second we're able to breathe, see, walk and do all these things, right? Absolutely. I mean, my son is who's 13. He, he gets these um these spills every now and then. He says, "Mom, I'm 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 feeling that again." And I say to him, "What's that feeling? Can you tell me?" He's like, "Feeling of death, feeling of dying." And it's normal, I said to him. It's normal. I grew up like that my whole life. So imagine I was in it. I was exposed to that every day of my life. Like we would literally go to bed, Carla, and not knowing if we were going to wake up the next morning because we never knew when the next bomb would come, right? So we would yeah. go to bed every night. My father would make us say a prayer and we'd kiss each other, we'd say, "Thank you God for this day. Thank you for this life." And if we wake up next next day, we're lucky. If we don't, then we don't, you know? And I let my yeah. kids know that because this was us. But look at me now. I'm 44. I'm living in one of the greatest country in the world. I'm having the time of my life with my husband, my family, with them. So it just goes to show you goes up and down. Life is, you know. Yeah, it shows that what looks to be impossible um it becomes possible in every way and shape. Now, looking at your journey now, you're very much into fitness. Um what happened in your life that you felt like, you know what? Um this is not me anymore. I want to proceed into something that it's healthier and better for me. What happened was from young age um I mean, just walking for 2 weeks carrying my parents on my back, I had to build the resilience in my brain, my mindset to be able to carry them. Okay? Um so and I look back to that and I think of that how good I felt when I did that. It was the best at that point, the best accomplishment for me because I did it. And I did it because I was strong physically. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. for me it's always been if I'm strong physically, if I'm healthy, then mentally I can do anything. Okay? Nothing will stop me. And I've always had this idea since I was young. I mean, actually I've been doing this since I came to Canada, to be honest. I remember my father used to wake me up at 4:30 in the morning because I would make him I would say wake me up I got to go to the gym and then I got to go to work before I start before I I uh, go to school. So he wake me up at 4:30 I'd go to the gym for an hour and then I'd go to work and I'd start my day. And that sort of stuck with me. If I go early in the morning and put my body through the pain and the exto- exhaustion early on then nothing and no one throughout the day would get to me mentally. Okay. Uh I mean you have to understand I came to Canada I didn't speak any English. It wasn't fun being being made fun of at school when you don't speak English or you don't speak, you know, the proper language. So yeah. I had to build that resilience in my mind and how I did that by putting my body through hell early in the morning so I wouldn't feel the pain when people made fun of me. Do you know what I mean? So Yeah. I understand. Um, you understand? <laughs> I yeah, do. Sure, I do I'm understand. Sure every immigrant, every immigrant we understand that because you know, let's face it, we've all been bullied one way or another when you first come to this country because it's not your country, it's not your way of living. So you have to learn everything from from scratch and when, while you're learning that process, it's really hard, you know? 
you you have fears, you have you have egos, you have people telling you that you're wrong. So you got to put all that to the side. And how I did that was by, by putting my body through hell early in the morning. So that kind of stayed with me. And I did that for a long, long time. So like I said, when my husband and I met, when we promised to, when he uh, proposed, we pinky promised each other that we would never stop working out. Because I know when you do that, nothing and no one will get to you. You know what I mean? You will, yeah. uh, you will build that resilience that you can conquer anything. And I think that's the life and, and the motto that I've been, I've been going by my whole life. And I've been working out. So after the kids, I, I knew I needed to take my body to a different level. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't fat, but I wasn't also uh, fit. I didn't have the healthiest lifestyle. So I wanted to make sure I had, you know, I was strong mentally, physically, and you know what? I'm not gonna lie. I wanted to look good. I wanted to look good all the time, because to me, if you look good, you feel good. Uh, you attract good. You attract who you are in life. And I wanted to be surrounded by people that are like me. You know, people that are in the fitness that look after themselves, look after their families, look after. And and I've been doing that for past, you know, I would say 12 years. And um, I, I love that. I love that part. Yeah. And now also you apply that to your children, right? Because um, I've seen <laughs> that you really put them <laughs> to sweats and work, work it out. So that's quite um, something because not only you're a role model for them and an example, but you're also encouraging them to follow that path. Well, to be honest, I, I'm not gonna lie. It wasn't my idea. It was actually my children's idea. My son said to me, mom, look, um, I'm small. When am I gonna grow? I said, baby, because his sisters a year, they're a year apart, and my daughter is so she's taller than me now. She literally just surpassed me, and he's still small. So he says, Mom, I want to be. When am I gonna grow? I, I'm gonna go to high school in a couple of years. Am I always gonna stay this small? I said, baby, girls grow different than boys. Okay, girls grow different times, and everyone has a different cycle. He's like, well, can I go boxing or do something so I can be strong? With with all the lockdowns, nothing's open. You know, um, I said to him, why don't you start training with us? You can get your muscles that way. You can build a strength. And he took it seriously. He legit took it seriously. It's been three weeks, Carla. He's been training with us three to four days a week. And I can't, I can't tell you how proud I am. He's like literally flexing. He's showing his little baby <laughs> biceps and triceps. He's so cute. And my daughter, same thing. She wanted to play volleyball and and then. They both wanted to do some sort of, you know, fitness and they went, they're coming downstairs with us. Some days is harder than others and, you know, some days they don't, they don't want to do it. And I just look at them and say, look, do mommy and daddy say no? One day they do it. She says, no, you got to do it every day. I said, well, that's how it's going to be. We've been doing it every day and we're going to continue doing this for the rest of our lives. So just encouraging them to like, oh, I'm sore. I'm this. I'm like, see, that's a happy pain because you're in pain. That means you're doing something good for your body. You're keeping healthy. So, yeah. and for my daughter, she eats a lot of chocolate, a lot of sugar. So I say to her, I said, if you're going to continue on this path, you're going to be very unhealthy. You're going to develop, you know, diabetes. You're going to develop issues that you don't want to really have to, to develop. And she goes, like the pimples on my forehead? I said, yes, you're a teenager. So you're going through puberty. The more sugar you eat, if you don't, 
do something to balance it to you know counteract that you're going to have to get you're going to get a lot more zits in your face so she's you know she's 14 she wants to look good and she doesn't want to have that so she's starting to work out i mean i am telling them the truth i'm really telling them the truth if you don't work out and train and you're going to be unhealthy so it's up to you it starts now so yeah. they're making they're they're actually making a decision to do something about it and I'm, and i'm going to encourage them to keep going yeah that's awesome because i mean um they have the tools so why not take advantage of it and do it the right way right absolutely and and another thing carla i really want to emphasize on the kids are at home all the time right now i mean i don't know your listeners are from what country they're from or what part of the world but here in canada we are we've been in a lockdown for almost a year and these kids keeping them at home attached to their screens all day long it's really 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 bad for their mental health my daughter broke down the other day for no reason she was at school all day in front of a screen and then she had some assignment to do again on the screen and then she was doing some stuff with her friends on screen the next day she was just crying i said to her you need to get out you need to move you need to go for a walk and move your body so even if they don't do it if they don't go out staying that 20 30 40 minutes just doing some moving their body doing some sort of exercise it does them wonder because they need it you know person depression and i hear more and more these days teenagers that are falling into that and it's yeah. hard for them to get out of so i mean i don't wish i mean anyone, let, you know? i mean yeah i mean let's face it uh the teenage phase is already hard as it is and now having to go through this pandemic situation where it's kind of like torture really mentally so um you really have to be strong and uh and you know let's face it uh adults ourselves we go through our own um waves right um so imagine the children that to them this is like a shock to their body because it's like wow this is new okay let me embrace that but but then when they think they got it all together all of a sudden it's like okay what's going on i'm losing control of myself right absolutely and and like you said there this is new to them so how are they going to uh, how are they going to um make themselves these these are kids used to be in school all day long going out with their friends playing outside doing activities from that to nothing to being stuck at home so we as adults are having a hard time with it they can't process this they're like whoa what is this this is foreign to us you know they what they do is they are they are virtue screens it's good for them you know what i mean if we as parents yeah. are not on top of it if we're not getting them to get out of there and move they're getting into this you know black hole that it's going to be really hard for them to come out and it breaks my heart to see this and i see a lot of a lot of kids are having this this hard time with with, with this pandemic so um nina is there a special message you would like to share with our listeners yes <laughs> like i said life is is what you make of it do you know what i mean no matter what situation you're in no matter what pandemic you're in no, no matter what war you're in it's the choice to make the best out of that life yes even if it's in a bad 
life. You have a choice to be positive and happy and to have a hope, or you have a choice to break down, curl up in a fetal position and give up. There are two choices in everything that we do in life. So I really hope you choose what's going to make you happy. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you. Um, Nina, I would like to thank you for sharing your inspirational story with us today. And for all the listeners out there, a big thank you and keep tuning in for our next episode. Namaste. Namaste.